Hello and welcome to Ask the Ed number 5 with a little bit of Ed 2 in my ear, a little bit of Ed 3 by my side, a little bit of... Oh, sorry, for some reason, Mambo number 5 was in my head then. Just be glad you don't have to listen to me on the karaoke. It could be worse, while Mambo number 5 came to my mind, you mention number 5 to Ed 7 and he gives you a huge lecture about Red 5, Luke Skywalker, Battle of Yavin, Death Stars and sticking one in the exhaust port. His sexual proclivities are just bizarre if you ask me. And if you ask Ed Treble 3 about number 5, he will immediately jump to a reminiscence of Liverpool's 5th Champions League win in Istanbul, which coincided with him losing his virginity at the age of 40 after being inspired by the movie. The movie Soggy Penis Syndrome, I mean. Now he knows he's not alone in his suffering. Ed 4, on the other hand, who is aiming for a starring role in 50-year-old Virgin, waxes lyrical on the role of a number 5 in football and immediately reaches for his iPad to illustrate the movement of tactical formations best suited to use a 5. And just don't ask Ed 33 about the number 5. He has a very complicated theory about how the number 5 is used by the Illuminati to control people's minds, which is why he hops every 5th step and will only wear teal on the 5th day of the week. All I wanted was some ideas for a subtitle of the, of the pod rather than just calling them 345 etc. Anyway, sorry, getting a bit distracted there, so on with the show. On to the first question, and walk the walk from the Aston Villa site asks, Ed one, there is a lot of money spent in football nowadays, to be fair, a stupid amount. Do you think the quality is better now than it was in, for example, say the 80s or 90s? Honestly, it depends on the, what way you judge it for me. The overall quality of the product has improved, the coverage, the stadia, the pitches, etc. But the football itself, other than a couple of teams, is just faster and more frenetic with less skill. Every team used to have tricky wingers that would dribble past players for fun. How many of those still exist? I mean, people get excited about Zahar and he can't do half of what the player... You know, he's fast rather than skillful. Uh, he's got a little bit of skill, but he's not in the league like Peter B. Gree and Pat Nevin, who used to used to have so much skill. They used to dribble past players and then dribble back past them again and then past them again, just for the hell of it. Uh, he used to have them in every tier of the game at one point, and now there's none of them. There's just a couple of players that can go very quick, and yeah, it's just not as it's not as skillful as it was for me. Southern Monkey from the Man United site is back and asks, who would be in your all-time All-Stars World Eleven team? And if you care to elaborate why, all the better. By the way, Robbie Fowler is benched, which I think is rather cruel of you to rule out Robbie Fowler. I mean, an All-Star Eleven without God in it? Right, well, I'm going to go all Mike Bassett and use a 4-4-2. It's a good flexible formation and allows me to put two forwards in. And let's face it, forwards are usually the most exciting players, so you want more of them in an all-star team. So, goalkeeper first, and this is a difficult one. Anyone who's ever seen Levy Ashen play will tell you he's the greatest ever, but I've not yet had the pleasure of more than a clip or two, so I can't pick him. In fact, that is a big problem with doing this, as I mostly have to look at more recent players, like than Yashin and the likes of the Magical Magyars, as until like the 70s, there isn't that much footage around. Sorry, a bit distracted then. Back to the keeper. And I have to say, modern keepers have revolutionised the game with their ability to kick the ball. And so the modern keeper is superior to the older style keepers under the modern rules of no back passes. And the best I've seen of those is Alisson. However, he's only had a couple of seasons of excellence. So I'm going to go with a man who is the best I've seen play in the flesh over his entire career. Neville Southall. He was 
absolutely incredible. He also has one advantage over modern keepers in that he organises his defence so much better than than the modern day keeper who relies on the setup given to him by the manager. So on to right back, and Rob Jones is the best right back I have ever seen. Just a shame about his injuries, but as this is an all star team, I'm not going to pick him. Instead, I'm going to go for Cafu. He was an incredible athlete and a fantastic footballer, two all-star a game. Jones was the better defender, but an all-star team should be about entertainment as well as quality. Left-back is probably the easiest of all choices. The only decision with Maldini is which position to pick him in. For me, he's best at left-back, as it gives the option to change to a back three if needed. Also, there was something special about watching him glide down the flanks like something out of a Hollywood movie. He reminds me of the baddie in Terminator 2 because he flows across the ground rather than merely runs like us mere mortals. There are so many centre-backs to pick from, but though Hansen is my favourite, I'm going to stick with the all-star philosophy and go with someone who had that similar Rolls-Royce style of defending to Hansen in Aldair and pair him with Brazy. Brazy should complement Aldair really well and he, and he was an excellent defender in his day. I used to hope he'd be playing when I switched on Football Italia. He had such good reading in the game, wasn't afraid to get stuck in, and a good tackle is always worth watching. Whereas Aldair is just a Rolls-Royce, he was a fantastic player and made a huge difference when he played for Brazil. In central midfield, I'm picking Suness and Iniesta as a beauty and the beast partnership. Suness would put the fear of God into opponents, but he was also a world-class central midfielder who could pass, shoot and tackle with the best of them. Iniesta is just a wonderful footballer to watch and one of the best ever. For me, he was Barca's key player rather than Messi. On the left wing, John Barnes is the only choice I could make. He was a sheer joy to watch and had a left peg that very few could compare with. He was also strong enough to shrug off the most robust challenge as well as the skill to slalom through the tightest defence. On the right wing, it's, I'm going to go for Garincha. It was him or best and Garincha takes it purely for the entertainment. There are very few players that are more enjoyable to watch than the little bird. Up front, I'm going to go with Maradona. He really needs no explanation. And the original Ronaldo. It may be controversial to leave out Pele, but Ronaldo was the best centre-forward I have ever seen. Plus, the after-match party would be even more entertaining than the game with him, Maradona and Gunnincha. They were almost as legendary for their off-field activities. So the monkey is back with another question. I have read a lot of information kindly given by Ed2 about the Pan-European League over the years. It does seem that inevitably this will come to eventually come to pass. What are your thoughts on this? Well, for me it would, go, it would be a disaster and go a long way towards killing my interest in the sport. Games against the likes of Barca, Milan and Madrid are exciting because they are rare and represent the pinnacle of the game. You have to achieve something to have... Got you know, to get to them in the first place. But now it's bad. I mean, it's bad enough that you can come forth and qualify for Europe. That's lessened it for me more than enough. It's kind of ruined it as, as it is. But one of the things that made me love footy so much is the banter with other kids when I was growing up. Especially when our teams were to play each other. If your team is in a Euro Super League, a lot of that will be gone because how many kids do you grow up with next to you that support Milan or Madrid? You don't, they support your local rivals, say, if you're in Liverpool, they're either red or blue, Liverpool or Everton, but, like, you know, so you're playing, you're not going to be playing Everton if you, if Liverpool are in the Super League and Everton aren't, so there'll be none of that banter left. I just hope it does not come in in my lifetime, That's I really don't want to see it. I think Southern Monkey might well be stalking me, as he has asked a dear question in a row. 
How many minutes from the start of the season do you see Mike Smalling playing before VAR shows him a red card? Mike Smalling will never get a red card. The man is a footballing god that even Van Van Aal bowed down before. It's been said that Van Aal's dive on the sidelines was not really a dive. He just fainted after Mike winked at him. Unfortunately, his lesser twin brother Chris often sneaks on the pitch in his place and he'll be lucky to make it through at half without a red. This is also from the Manchester United site, but this time a Liverpool question from Oakbach, who asks, Ed, if you could sign any one current player for Liverpool, who would it be? Well, I really wanted us to sign that Alison Becker fella, but, oh wait, um, well I hear Scotland's captain's a quality left back, Andy Robertson or, oh yeah, well, um, what about that lad I saw playing at right back for England, double-barrelled surname, but couldn't half-whip in a great ball, Tre- Ah, yeah, um, there's a big lad at the back for Holland, Van Dijk, or so. oh, God, um, well, I watched the, A-cut of the AFCON the other day, and there was this player called Sadio Mane playing for, oh, for God's sake, well, Mo Salah was there, he was, oh, Roberto Firmino, no, Fabinho, no, to be honest, it is really difficult to come up with someone who can fit in the current system better than the players already in the team. There are just two that come to mind, although I might find others if I search long enough, in Sal Niguez and Jose Maria Jimenez, both of Atletico Madrid. I'm going to say Jimenez because not only can he provide extra cover at right-back, but he's a brilliant centre-half who would give the option to go three at the back as well as slot straight in alongside Van Dijk. The Sandham from the Liverpool site asks, Ed, you have a half Scouse-Saxon and half Welsh-Saxon. Cheeky bugger. There's no Welsh in my accent. Where have you lived in the UK before Dubai? Okay, quick list. And note it doesn't include anywhere in Wales. Bootle, Shrewsbury. Although I suppose that could be counted as Wales, really, because it used to be Welsh. Uh, Tewkesbury in Gloucestershire, Cheltenham, Fairford, Doncaster, Windsor. Do six months in Spain count? If so, you can add Marina Lady to the list. Obviously, none of the others compared to the natural beauty and scenery of Bootle, but where can? I do have one question for all of you about these, though. Why is every woman in Doncaster orange? It was like a sea of Oompa Loompas wandering around the town centre on a Saturday. Is there a leaking nuclear reactor in the area or something? Another one from the Liverpool site in Istanbul asks a rather confusing question. How did you feel during the Hodgson era? Not specifically the six months he was in charge, but the years before and immediately after. Actually thought it might be the end of us as a mid-table side. What was your view? Well, I'm not sure you can consider six months an era, and before and after isn't really the Hodgson era, but okay. Before his arrival, we just seemed to be on a downward slope, just literally, I mean, in the months before it. With his arrival, just heralded a new era of relegation battles and possible financial ruin. Even his interviews were depressingly pessimistic. The man couldn't have been more negative if he had tried and clearly did not understand the club or the fans at all. At the time, though, off-field issues were the only thing that mattered as it really seemed like it might well be the end of days as far as Liverpool were concerned. The appointment of Hodgson almost seemed like a precursor to the end of days, really. Now, we seem to have moved on to a run of Liverpool posters as Epic Potato wants to know can Harry Wilson learn to be a Klopp-type player, or is it a case of he is what he is? The problem is, with people in general, is it usually takes something major to shock them into a change, whether that change be good or bad, or, you know, it, 
something life-changing usually has to happen. I mean, he might well become a Klopp-type player, but it's probably going to take something major to jolt him out of his mental comfort zone. Something such as sliding down the league after being let go by Liverpool and, you know, thinking his career might be ending and he has to act to change that. If he stays, he's more likely to end up not feeling the urge to change. There's no need because, obviously, he's being rewarded for what he's doing. So, I just don't think... I can't see him staying at Liverpool and becoming a Klopp-type player. Right, on to the final question. Well, actually, it's a series of questions, but it also comes from Liverpool's site, and it's from Red Dawn, who obviously likes his solution hygienics, as he asks, Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Did you know that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't walk up a ladder with a bell in both hands? And a football-related one to finish, if you had to pick one player playing today to pick up and slot into this current Liverpool team, who would it be and why? And then same question, but about retired players. Well, that first one, a swan can give you a proper doing if you aren't careful, so I can only imagine what a horse-sized duck would do. I defo don't want to have to face one of them. Actually, I wouldn't want to face 100 duck-sized horses, really, either. Um, they're thinking about it. Will the duck be turned into crispy duck if I win? I love crispy duck. Slap a bit of sauce on a pancake, throw a little bit of cucumber and spring onion in there, and oh, I'm away. If winning the fight gives me the animals to eat, then I will take on the duck all day, every day. Definitely. As for the second one, having spent the last hour, the maintenance lads in the building trying... I can unequivocally tell you that it is possible to walk up a ladder with a bell in both hands, but most of the times you will end up sprawled at the bottom crying for your mother if the maintenance lads are anything to go by. Kids these days are so soft, a couple of broken bones and they cry off having another go. If I'd cried off after having another go because of a broken leg, my ma would have given me a hiding so I had something to cry about. I did just answer about the current player on this pod, so I'll go straight to picking a retired player. Uh, thinking about it, I've just remembered Kante. I never remembered him the first time round. So I'm going to change my answer to the previous one. I'm going to give a different answer this time and say Kante, because that boy is immense. He'd be the player I'd want in the Liverpool side. But anyway, back to the retired player. And I would love to see the Anfield Iron play at his peak for this Liverpool side. Tommy Smith was more than just a brick wall. He was not just a big lump who kicked people off the pits. Shanks was right, he was quarried, not born, but man could he play. And he was such a nice guy as well, a proper gent. Intelligent player as well, who could play a number of positions equally well. One of the all-time greats who gave his heart, gave his heart and soul for the club. So, there we have it, another Ask the Ed for you today. Uh, take care and speak to you soon. And don't forget to keep those questions coming in. <laughs>